Welcome to the October 6th, 2000, easy for me to say, the October 6th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on history sadly repeating itself this week in Las Vegas, Sunday evening. The nation's debate over gun control and mental health was reignited as the country mourns yet another mass shooting. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, it's... Uh, it's hard to see these events come down, not only as sad as they are, but also... The, where the debate goes, because it's never productive. From what we've seen so far, has there been anything productive coming out of yet another uh, tragedy in this country? Well, we certainly hope that after Columbine and after the Aurora shootings, people in Colorado were more sensitized to people with problems. Uh, you don't want to wish the title on any other state of having the worst homegrown shooting, but I do think we have to pay attention to the fact that these are all internal. These are Americans who are taking off after their fellow Americans, and that means we have to be careful about everything. Michael Fields from Americans for, for Prosperity. Uh, we've already seen Republicans get some pressure talking about uh, the money being donated from uh, the gun lobby. Is there going to be more heat from this, uh, or sadly is this something that just dissipates with the normal news cycle? I think that could be interesting in this one as opposed to other shootings is that there is a policy discussion that's happening and that's around the bump stock um, you know, debate and, and really you had the NRA come out, you had congressional Republicans come out and say that they want to look at this and possibly regulate it and so um, while you know, there's the normal you know, ban all guns on one side and do nothing on the other side, uh, it is possible that something policy wise comes out of this. Political activist Justine Sandoval joins us. Justine, uh, there's one of the big debates that came out almost immediately was what we called the shooter. Is he a terrorist? Uh, is he just a shooter? Is a, a lone wolf? Whatever it is, do labels matter at the end of the day? Um, yeah, you know, one thing, this is a good example of ma male toxic masculinity going on, and that's one thing a lot of these shooters all have in common. You know, what is going on in our society? What is fundamentally wrong in America that is causing these types of shooting? You know, access to um, weapons, not, no access to mental health. You know, what what is going on? And I think it's really time that we address this, and we look at the individuals who are doing this and try to find, you know, solutions. And I think it's really the answer comes down to what's going on in our society as a whole, and how we really look at and how we address how we're moving forward as a nation. Round up the panel, Erica Meltzer, assistant editor with Denverite.com. Erica, as you've seen the variety of reactions in different debates this week, what, what stood out to you? Well, I was, um, frankly, given the way some of these other events have played out, I was surprised that there was openness to discussing the bump stock issue and actually discussing some regulation out of this. And I think it's it's very difficult for us to reckon with this because the scale of it is so much larger than anything that we've seen before. And yet when we look at um, the availability of guns, there's really nothing that had prevented this from happening before except that someone apparently didn't have the ambition to do something on this scale until now. So it's very sobering. It is indeed. 
The Colorado State Legislature ended its special session on Tuesday, just one day after it began. Governor Hickenlooper called the special session to address errors in a 2017 law pertaining to funds collected from marijuana taxes. Two Democratic-sponsored House bills proposing solutions to the issue were killed in a Senate Transportation Committee on a party-line vote. The session abruptly ended with no concrete resolution. Hey, talk about a buzzkill. I mean, we thought we have a special session, a special party. Governor calls it, and then it goes nowhere. Did Governor Hickenlooper lose a high profile, I guess, man, a, whole, a hugely high profile, but a decent profile game of political chicken? Well, he certainly lost this one. And the question is, how bad will things be in January when the legislators come back? He'll be a lame duck governor. Will they try to fix? Will they try to fix this one little error, which? that is costing a lot of money, which, as I pointed out before, a simple editor or proofreader could have handled. The fact that they were so intent on pushing through the hospital provider fee fix and they missed this, that the marijuana tax would no longer go to special districts and the RTD and the scientific and cultural facilities district, um, you know, it should have been caught in the first place. It should have been an easy fix. Now we'll see if people are going to use this as an opportunity to go back up and see about the getting rid of the hospital provider fee. This was not a tax that was eliminated and then this, the legislature was going to be asked to put back. This was a typographical error, really. And uh, somewhere, Doug Bruce is really laughing. We are coming on the 25th anniversary of Tabor being passed. And think about how that's changed Colorado's landscape. Indeed. Michael, I've, I've understood the, um, I, I'm not sure to call it a rift, but there's certainly been arguments within the Republican Party about that the compromise over the hospital provider fee even happened. Mm -hmm. But that was a much larger bill. That was, we're talking a, a big deal. This seemed like a very small thing to take a stand on if you were already going to pass the big option earlier in the year. Um, am I making too little of that? Well, I think 267 is over, uh, that hospital provider fee bill, and this was an opportunity when the governor calls a special session that it becomes a bigger deal, that everybody's watching it, that the media all shows up, uh, that there's a laser focus on this specific issue. And so that's why I think there ended up being a battle on it. But it was pretty anticlimactic. Um, you know, before a week before, uh, Senator Grantham had come out and said, cancel it to, to uh, Governor Hickenlooper, and he didn't. And so taxpayers had to pay $50,000 for exactly what we knew would happen. Um, the Republican argument was, you know, that Tabor is clear about this, that if you want to reinstate a tax, whether it's a mistake or it's not a mistake, uh, it has to go to the vote of the people. And so, um, you know, I thought it was interesting because just a week before, uh, Senator John McCain had voted again, or had said he was going to vote against the Graham-Cassidy bill, and he did it because of the process in the Senate. He said the process is not right. I agree with the bill, but, but think that it should be done a different way. Um, and all the Colorado Democrats were heralding him as the greatest thing ever. Uh, then it happens in the Republicans say there's a certain process. You have to follow this process. Those same Democrats uh, were up in arms. And so I think there was a consistency uh, issue there. And, and one other point, I think the governor did... Uh, you know, take a hit on this one because he did two things. He called a special session without having the votes lined up. Second, he said that the special districts would pay for the special session. And that set bad precedent. Even Speaker Duran said this is not a good idea. And so I think it is a, a small blow to the governor, but a blow. Justine, uh, a percentage of pot tax money that goes to SCFD and RTD is kind of inside base when it comes to politics, a little below the radar. But it's also pretty good optics. You can, you can bring out somebody at the zoo or uh, uh, you know, somebody waiting for light rail. So do you think Dems make a big deal of this later, or is this really too inside baseball? 
I think someone had to be high when they had an oversight <laughs> passing this because this is like, it's just been kind of insane, insane that we've had to go back to special session. It's cost taxpayers money. But I do think it is important because as Denver grows and we become more of a cultural center than we've been before, people are moving to the city and they want those things and they want to make sure that they're funded. So I think it's, uh, it's important you know, to make sure that they do make a big deal out of those things because those are things that we see every day and that everyday citizens participate in and, you know, enjoy in the city. So, Erica, to Patty's point, is enough blame being cast on the fact that this wouldn't have been necessary at all or even an argument if the original bill would have been proofread? <laughs> Well, I do think that we saw some um, hard feelings about 267 play out in this process, that there was people unhappy. I, I think it was the, mor the Friday morning before the end of the session when this version of the bill that they ultimately voted on came out. People were unhappy then at how quickly it was written. And so there was a certain amount of, see, this is what you get in this whole process. At the same time, it, it was an incredibly complex bill with a lot of moving pieces. and. To speak to the Tabor point, these are taxes that the voters in these districts approved repeatedly, and it's a tough pill to swallow that because the legislature had a few small words error that these districts could have to take on the cost of another election to reapprove what their voters have already approved. Yesterday was the cutoff for DREAMers to renew their status under the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Close to 20,000 Coloradans would have... Uh, uh, would have needed to, uh, excuse me, would have needed to renew their applications to remain in the country legally. Uh, Michael, this has got, this has received a lot of national exposure due to the change of opinion, the change of policy with President Trump, really shifting it to Congress. But do you think this is going to be made a bigger local deal? Because frankly, 20,000 Coloradans, that's a lot of people. Yeah, I think it is a big local deal, um, and especially because universities are impacted, uh, employers are impacted, and so uh, it is a, a big focus here in Colorado. I think um, that it's it's a confusing process. You, you look at it, 23% of the people who were eligible didn't get their paperwork in by yesterday when the deadline was. Uh, there are groups out there educating people about these deadlines. I think it's good. There's that six-month window that the, uh, the president has talked about, um, but I think there needs to be more clarity in general. You know, what's going to happen with this? Is Congress going to act or not? Um, but I think in the larger broader immigration issue is nobody's happy right now, right? So DACA hasn't been dealt with on, on one side. The other side, people are mad that the wall hasn't been built. And uh, I think a couple weeks ago, uh, the president was talking about that they're sampling the wall. Um, and I don't remember in the rallies the, the sampling phase as part of the, uh, uh, of the deal. But uh, I think Congress needs to act. They need to make it clear. So, you know, we're dealing with people's lives, and, and that's an important part. And so hopefully they move quickly. Just seeing if there's any common ground in the immigration debate, it's around dreamers. You have uh, kids who are not brought here with, with, with really their permission. They, they were brought here. They, they didn't come here uh, on their own volition. Uh, they're usually students. You, you, you see them in news. They're, they're uh, doing well academically. These are the kind of citizens, we, the kind of people we want as citizens in this country. Uh, do you think because of that, this is something that can actually get done in Congress? Is there enough political will to make this happen? Uh, I certainly hope so. 
I mean, when you look at Congress, I'm never optimistic that there's anything that can be proactively passed. But um, this is an issue I think that it's a lot easier for people to see that there it's right and wrong, a situation between right and wrong. And so I'm hoping that, you know, we do find a long-term solution and that we can move this forward and that there are enough people that maybe this is the issue that both sides can come together on and finally have some type of agreement and move something forward for once. You know. We'll see, though. Erica, the, uh, President Trump gave a, a six-month deadline. Um, I'm not sure if that is arbitrary or not, but uh, Congress is usually not very good at deadlines. You can probably look at the budget process for that. Uh, does it get done in six months, or do dreamers become a political football uh, for months after that? I think there's very much a feeling that the dreamers are a political football or perhaps even a political hostage to things that the different sides want. There's sort of broad agreement that something should be done so that this group of people has a pathway to to legal status because of their very sympathetic circumstances. But you have all these different groups that want other things. Um, and the Trump administration has put forward an immigration policy that would reduce the numbers of legal immigration. There's border security. And there's I, my inbox is full of advocacy groups saying, pass a clean Dreamer Act. Like, don't put us in the middle of all of this. But I think. Um, I think probably they are going to end up in the middle, and I don't know what's going to happen. Patty, we've been uh, at the table for 25 years, you specifically, the, the whole time. Uh, we've seen the immigration debate go back and forth, but not a whole lot of solutions. What faith do you have that we'll see something of material uh, matter on the, the DACA solution? Well, I would hope we would see something and see something soon because that six months is already being frittered away. And you have these 20,000 kids here and then around the country they are they they came here through no choice of their own they've been working they've been paying taxes this is their life their life is not in mexico or whatever country they came from their parents brought them from so we have to come up with a solution but i agree that i'm afraid it's a game of chicken and everyone's going to use them as the bargaining chip for whatever else they want about immigration Denver Mayor Michael Hancock is continuing Denver Talks, the city's annual program on race and inclusivity, with a kickoff event this Saturday. Copies of poet Claudia Rankin's book, Citizen Lyric, will be distributed. Over 1,200 copies of that. Uh, Justine, this seems like an inventive way to address racism in a city as big as Denver. Um, uh, you have to be, guess, pre be creative in the situation. What do you think about this, especially going with a book on poetry? I think this is great. Um, I'm... As I've said before, I'm a Denver native. I'm born and raised here. So any time that we open up dialogue in the city, I think is great. Um, I think right now, racism is not as, you know, in your face as it was decades ago, but there are a lot of microaggressions going on and things that are, you know, systemic from a racist culture that we've went through. And I think that this is a good time to open up dialogue. I personally, uh, with a lot of the change in the city in the last few weeks, have went out and started talking to neighbors, talking to people who have moved here, and really having some good discussions with people to kind of get on, um, you know, the same, on some common ground. And I think when we do that as a city and when we do that in communities, it really just helps move us forward. Erica, what do you think about this uh, inventive way, this inventive approach? I mean, we have to do something. I think people will probably in agreement on that. Uh, what about this uh, Denver Talks approach? Well, I certainly agree with uh, Justine that anytime uh, you can get people talking and get people thinking, and I think to ask people to read a, a work by a poet is uh, a challenging thing that he's put out to people. Um, and it's, um, 
I think it will benefit the people who participate in it, and, and I don't think that whether this is worthwhile or not depends on whether this solves everything. But at the same time, we're in a situation where um, you have an African-American mayor, an African-American police chief, and yet a lot of tension with activists over um, police use of force issues. You have a lot of tension um, around gentrification and development that has a racial element to it. And, um, and we're going to continue to really wrestle with these things, even if we have a, what feels like a good conversation. Patty, you've seen a lot of things come and go as programs to attempt at a conversation in Denver. Denver's changed quite a bit. Is this the, the right way to go about it? It's not a bad way to go about it. Think about it. We used to. It's the same day that Columbus Day Parade is this year. Who's heard anything about the Columbus Day Parade in Denver? Who's heard anything about opposition to the Columbus Day Parade? So some issues in Denver do seem to be settled or at least calmed down a little because you talk about racism and what happened to the Native Americans in this country. Um, but it's also interesting. I'm glad he's doing it. I wish he hadn't gotten rid of the One Book, One Denver program a few years ago. Maybe they can bring it back and focus on books that have a good, lead to a good discussion about important issues in town. Michael, wrap it up for us. This is a, a discussion the mayor's trying to have within the city, the right way to go about it? Yeah, I think it could be. I haven't read the book. He had a quote, Mayor Hancock, in the story that we, that we uh, read. It says, uh, do not read this book and talk to someone you know, but read this book and talk to someone you don't know. And I think it's a good point. Uh, there are big political divides in our country, economic divides, rural, uh, urban divides. And I think the more you talk to people, the more you live life with people, uh, the, the better off things are. I, I, I think about it. Uh, I was a teacher and then was on the board of a school. It's a third white, a third black, a third Hispanic, all different kinds of economic uh, situations. And what we do is we focus on learning. We focus on winning when we're on the athletic field. And we celebrate diversity, but we also highlight the commonalities that we have. And so I think if we look at it, you know, the way that Bill Clinton said when he said, there's nothing wrong with America that can't be cured by what is right with America, uh, I think that that gives us, you know, a platform to have these tough discussions. You might be the first person that, sit, uh, that sits in that seat in a long time that quoted Bill Clinton in a, in a positive way, so good for you. <laughs> <laughs> President Trump tapped former Douglas County School Board member Doug Benevento as the Region 8 Director of the Environmental Protection Agency this week. Benevento will oversee Colorado, Montana, North and South Dakota, Utah, Wyoming, and 27 tribal nations, some most recently impacted during the Gold King mine spill. Erica, this seems like a pretty big job, and I realize that uh, you don't always have just an environmental scientist come in to be an environmental per, uh, protection uh, the EPA director, but do you think this is going to be the right fit? Well, in some ways, I feel like um, it, it's not actually that significant who is in this role because we've had such a change in focus at the top. So whoever was going to be put in this role was, one, going to be bringing that shift in focus, and two, were facing probably a much reduced EPA budget. And that's been the biggest concern that, that I've heard from environmentalists, that with a much reduced budget, it's going to be very easy to just not do certain things that maybe are important to the environmental community and perhaps things that businesses would rather that the EPA not be involved in. But certainly in the wake of the Gold King spell, the EPA has a lot of work to do to repair its reputation in Colorado. And, um, and this is someone who, who does bring professional experience um, to the job, I, I think there certainly could have been worse picks out there. Patty, what do you think? This is a huge geographic area. I mean, the West usually comes up with that kind of stuff, but I mean, this is, I, I don't know my percentages very well, but it looks like almost a third of the country geographically. Uh, is Benevento up to the task? 
Well, he does. He at least he knows Colorado, which is good for us. He's he was the head of the Colorado Department of Health a decade ago with under Owens. We've certainly had worse people coming out of Colorado with the EPA. I mean, you look at Ann Gorsuch, you look at everyone who came during the Ronald Reagan administration. But there are really big challenges ahead, like the gold mine. We are looking at. Um, the sagebrush grouse, you know, they're changing the endangered species things. There are so, there's drilling. There are all these areas that are now going to be put back into possible development. So there are huge issues out there, and I just hope he has an even hand and maybe is a little less thin-skinned than he was when he was head of the health department in Colorado. Michael, what do you think? He, uh, Benevento comes from a lot of different experience here in Colorado, but the EPA is a whole different banana. It's a huge area. And uh, as Erica mentioned, you have a, a national agenda that may not ask for a lot of things to get done. Uh, the right pick? I think so. Uh, there's no tougher job than being on, a, on the Douglas or Jefferson County School Board. <laughs> uh, there's just nothing like it. And so I think that he is. He's going to get a lot of attention in this job. Uh, I think his biggest challenge is going to be building back trust in the EPA after the Gold King Mine disaster. Uh, those images are stuck in everybody's head right now. Um, and so I think, you know, one positive thing, the governor, uh, Governor Hickenlooper and Senator Gardner both came out with positive statements about him. Uh, I think he has the background and experience. I think he'll do a good job. Justine, when you look at the appointment, what do you think, I mean, if, you're, if he calls you up for advice, what do you think is the priority when you look at the West, you look at all these different states and the EPA, what should be the priority for the EPA uh, in this area? In, this, in Colorado specifically, I think the EPA, one of the things that they need to focus on, of course, is water. Water is one of our most precious resources. It's Colorado's, you know, we outsource water here. And it's very important that we protect our water. And also when it comes to, um, you know, oil, the oil and gas industry, what are those regulations looking like so that industry can continue to grow in Colorado, but we're being safe and protecting the environment. So I hope here that the environment comes first, I don't know, above business, but we will see how that works out. Should be interesting to watch. Well, it is time for our favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, this fall, Denver International Airport is going to embark on a $1.8 billion renovation of the terminal and where security is. Uh, and in the meantime, then Ferrovial, the Spanish company that is, has the contract, is going to be in charge of the concessions and keeping 20% of the proceeds. And that's just in the new giant mall of a terminal. The airport is still in charge of the concessions out on the concourses, which is why I wish they would pay attention to actually having Colorado-made products, Colorado art, instead of letting a Minnesota company open its own Rhino store that has nothing in common with Rhino except the name it's lifted. Well, in, in thinking about this, and we're going to have a major construction project at the airport and I-70 right in the middle of Denver and right next to I-70 with the whole National Western Complex all within the same time as those neighborhoods around there are growing. That should be easy. That, 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 that shouldn't be a problem. Hyperloop will take care of it. <laughs> That's true. Michael. Um, it's been an ongoing story, but the Aspen Daily News uh, wrote this week about the problems with the state's Medicaid payment system. Um, and they talked a lot about the, uh, Aspen hospitals and, and the impact that it's having. Uh, the state's only paying 66% of provider claims right now. Um, with low reimbursement rates, a lot, of people, a lot of providers don't want to take Medicaid to start with, and now they're not getting paid. So this is something uh, that could really harm access. I hope that there's a quick fix to it, uh, but it seems like the state's dragging its feet. Justine. Uh, this week, it has to be the GOP for their attacks on women's reproductive rights. Um, this week, they introduced a cruel 20-week ban, uh, abortion ban. And then this morning, we got news that the Trump administration is going to roll back on um, regulations when it comes to uh, birth con employee birth control access. And to me, it's just, you know, continuance of the war on women. So, Erica. 
I thought that everything involved with the special session was pretty disappointing. I think, um, you know, re Republicans were, um, I think, expressing sort of a personal upset in a way that has big policy implications. I think the governor could have foreseen that this would not have been productive and just let it wait until January and maybe have some more discussions. And it just turned into a big waste of everybody's time. The hardest part of the show, say something nice. Patty? Oh, this is easy today. This is, you, you know this, um, I See What You Mean is the official name of the Big Blue Bear at the Colorado Convention Center, arguably Denver's most beloved piece of public art. And sculptor Lawrence Argent, great guy, Denver artist, passed away this week. And, but he leaves behind a lot of wonderful artwork to remember, including the fabulous Blue Bear. Big Blue Legacy, I like that. Michael. Uh, last week, uh, Congressman Scalise came back to work after being shot a few months ago, and there was a 60-minute special that was really good on him, his positive attitude, the fact that he bounced back, I think should be inspiring to all of us. Justine. Um, the Colorado Immigration Rights Coalition has been working very hard to help with the DACA renewals and done a lot of work, especially for some very close personal friends of mine. Very cool. Erica. So at Denverite, we're doing a series of stories this week on Colfax Avenue, and we started digging into the origins of this supposed quote from Playboy magazine, the longest, wickedest street in America. And we started to have doubts about whether it ever really was said in Playboy. And we, we put the research librarians at the Denver Public Library to work on it, and they were complete pros, and we really appreciate that. And uh, we, they could not find any evidence of it, so uh, we have something up on that. But um, I really appreciate that we were able to call them up and ask them about Playboy magazine. An assignment of just getting through all the Playboys was, to just, just read the articles. Just read the articles. <laughs> very <laughs> impressive, very impressive. Not very common, very impressive. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. I have a very exciting announcement. As you know, we have been celebrating our 25th season all year. Well, we've put together a documentary about Colorado Inside Out, and it will broadcast three weeks from tonight, October 27th at 7 p.m. We'll encore it again at 9 p.m. We're also putting together a live event with our partners, the Alamo Draft House in Sloan's Lake, on Thursday, October 27th. 6th at 6 p.m. Seating is very limited, but you are invited. That's right. You can join us. Tickets are $12 each and can be purchased at drafthouse.com. You'll see more information coming soon about the event. We're very excited to celebrate these 25 years, and we know that you have made them all possible. It's, uh, it's really been a labor of love for me to uh, look back through some of the, the, the great footage and what's come through with all the different interviews that we've done about the program and watching it over the years is it really does come down to our viewers, our fans. We've had multiple uh, people talk about that, and that's really driven the show. It's had a personality. It's had uh, a, a variety of characters that we're going to be focusing on in the documentary and some really good stories, including uh, what happens the five minutes before and five minutes after we roll tape around here, which I have always claimed is by far our most entertaining content, but those we can't actually put out onto the, uh, the broadcast because we don't have the legal team to provide uh, the kind of security we would need for what is said. But all those kinds of secrets all those kinds of stories you've been wondering about are part of this documentary, and we hope you join us at the screening again Thursday, October 26th at 6 p.m. at the Alamo Draft House in Sloan's Lake, and it'll broadcast, if you don't want to come to the event, it'll broadcast on the 27th at 7 p.m. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.